Hello, everybody. This podcast is actually number three out of the first three that we ever recorded. It was back when we only had a YouTube channel. So this is a throwback and we're putting it on our podcast app now that we have one. Many of you probably have not gotten to listen to it. So we're looking forward to getting the chance now. This was with my training partner and friend Gus. He talks about how as a youth, he had a hard time trying to figure out how to deal with his anxiety and depression. And now as an adult, how he uses martial arts to help keep him sane. Enjoy and let us know what you think. So as a kid, I was just a typical, typical kid, did dumb kid stuff. 11, 12, 13, I was like, my parents had a collection of little bottles, drinking them, skating, just a typical kid, you know? Mm-hmm. Never got caught. We used to throw like those little seeds with the spikes. We used to throw my cars, just, you know, normal teenage stuff. And then my friend Robert brought that CD and I heard it and I was like, oh my gosh, this is awesome. It was loud, it was fast, it was violent. And it was what I felt inside but on record and we listened to that band and then we listened to other bands and I was like this is dope and I remember one night my buddy was like you want to go to a show I was like yeah let's go so we went to a concert I'll never forget that first hardcore concert because I've been to punk rock concerts before you know but hardcore and punk rock are so different you know and I went to a show and that was it dude it was just like, this is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I fit in. You can express yourself. You can go from one end of the, of the you know, wherever the show was at. It was probably a garage, a pizza parlor, anywhere, dude. Skate mm-hmm. shops. And you go one to another just moshing hard. You get out of there drenched in sweat. All your demons have been exercised. And before you said, what music was it that you used to listen to before? Like crappy punk rock and pop punk, and it was just and then this radio new, new punk. Stuff you know? was what? Hardcore. Hardcore. It's just the way to name. Just hardcore, like hardcore metal, hardcore punk, hardcore everything. You know. And before you would enjoy the music, but this was a whole different experience. This was something else, dude. This was like I'd never heard anything like that before. I'd never heard anybody scream like that on. On video, and this know? is just the music, not even going to the show. You no. already felt that way about it. Yeah, I heard it in my friend Robert's living room. We put it on, you know, CD player, and I was just tripped. I was like, "Dude, what? What? What are these guys doing? What is this?" You know, and I just felt like that was that was a really that was an expression. That was an expression that I needed to get out. You know, like you ever sit in your car and you just grasp the the thing, just have to let it out. That was it. And, the, and then that show amplified? 100%. I went to the show, and everybody was just going nuts, dude. I mean, side to side. It was at the Chain Reaction in Anaheim, and it was it was incredible. And so going to shows opens up the window to other bands. So you start listening to other bands, and you start seeing a trend in these bands. There was a lot of like positivity, stick up for yourself, stick together. And that was how I was introduced to Straight Edge. I was like, what is this Straight Edge, you know? So there was a hardcore and then there was a Straight Edge. Yeah, hardcore, Straight Edge, Straight Edge, hardcore. And you'd go to shows and you'd see these kids with X's on their hands. You're like, what the heck is that? What do they do that? And it all comes from like, you know, you ever go to a club and you're not 21, they put an X on your hand. They glorified that. 
So what they did is they put the X's on their hands and say, hey, I'm not drinking, I don't drink. I don't need that trash because, you know, hard, straight edge started in the 80s, maybe late 70s, with bands like Minor Threat. Um, and they, you know, they, they, they put that out there. Like, you don't need drugs, you don't need alcohol, you don't need promiscuous sex to have fun. There's other ways. So it just kind of made sense. And like, you know, it's all about who you hang out with. So one of my friends started saying I'm straight edge. The other one started saying I'm straight edge. The next thing you know, we're a bunch of straight edge kids from Downey. And it was supposed to be positive, but it wasn't. You didn't have what most people use the alcohol and drugs for to kind of dull them. Yeah. In a sense, you needed something else. I was never dull. Yeah, you, I never needed, had anything. you needed an outlet. Yeah, I never had anything to like, you know, people talk about like dulling the pain, like, you know, teenagers and adults. Well, adults, they dull the pain these days with prescription drugs and drinking. Teenagers, it's trying things out, cutting, you know, how many kids do we know are doing that? Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's a horrible thing, but I have an understanding of it. When I see a kid and they got the bandages on their wrist and they've been cutting themselves, it's not like, don't be an idiot, don't cut yourself. It's more like, hey, let's talk about how you can channel that. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. yeah. It's such a popular thing, you know? I mean, every kid's tried it. I tried it. I was like, let's see what that feels like. Damn, that really hurts. But it didn't do anything to me. It never did that, you know? And so what did this straight, what activities did you guys do through this straight edge pump that was that outlet for you, that helped you cope with what you were going through at that time? Going into a mosh pit. And just letting it all out, dude. But I'm so amped up, I never let it out. And so I'd leave and it'd be some kind of trigger, you know? Like a kid, it was always like a punk rocker with like a mohawk or something like that. That and We didn't look like that, This you was know? after the mosh pit. And yeah, still yeah. had all that energy. You'd see him and he'd yeah. be like drinking a beer or something and be like, hey, let's, let's beat this kid up. And that's where it started. That was it. Like a little bit of trouble being a kid up, you know? My kids, my friends were straight edge. They were doing things around straight edge that didn't represent what we were looking for, like a good positive outlook. They were doing graffiti. They were trying to do graffiti. They were mm -hmm. just kids, you know? They were beating up kids. They were, you know, jumping kids. And it just didn't make sense, dude. It was, it was twisted. And the only way that I knew how to, like, express myself was in that mosh pit, I guess, just rage. I needed to channel it and I didn't know how to channel it. And all things go in a mosh pit? Pretty much, yeah. All things go. And we're a little bit different. We have a little bit more style. Than like You see like a trip, like if you go to a Rage Against the Machine show, you just see a bunch of dudes, you know, going around in a circle, moving around. Mm -hmm. um, if you were to watch like a, a hardcore show and you see that, you're like, what? It's, it's a different world. It's really hard to explain unless you're really into it, you know, but it was fun and it was violent and it, you know, it got us in trouble and at the end of the day, I actually, I won't take it back for anything. Yeah, no, no, no doubt. I won't take anything back. And how long are you doing that for? We were going to shows until maybe about, maybe like 19-ish or something and things started to get crazy is just like in every community you get a lot of bad seeds and there were some bad seeds in the hardcore community and these guys like the straight edge mm -hmm, they well. were like real tough guys like big tough guys and dude at 19 years old i never lifted a weight never did anything i was a small dude and we got beat up big we got i mean we got beat up big time 
by a group of dudes, and it wasn't even our fault or anything. It was, I mean, these shows were just a reason to fight. Uh-huh. So fighting. Us, it's always us, been fighting. Tell us about so, that particular story. How did that come this about? This was a good one, dude. And it's all because of my friend Joe V. Joe V's getting into a fight outside of a show for whatever reason. Somebody stepped on his sneakers. Somebody said something to him. Somebody had said something to him somehow, whatever. So Joe and this guy were squaring up. And as they were squaring up, this big guy, I'll never forget him, I forget his name, this real big guy, probably like 6'4", six, 6'5", six, he's like pushing me. I was like, hey man, chill, that's my friend. I'm just trying to be here for my friend. And he started getting real aggressive with me. But that big guy was part of a gang. There was a gang out there. And a straight edge gang. And they're, they're all over the nation. There's like, you know, there's, they were on dead, like Dateline and shit like that. Um, and they, uh, one of the guys in that gang saw me and that big guy kind of bickering. And I got rocked, dude, from the side. Boom. Someone sucker punched you? Yeah. Sucker punched me. And I don't remember really what happened, but I was on the ground and I heard someone saying, Gus, just stay down. But uh, like I said, I always had this little fire. I just got up and just get beat up by every, you know, mm-hmm. five or six dudes. And my lip was split open. My friend Matt almost got his shoes taken off of him. Luckily, he was able to keep them because they were dope, Nike SBs. And they were trying to punk him for his yeah, shoes. Yeah, they were trying to punk him for his shoes. And, my, you know. and that day, I mean, we'd been in fights before. But the way that fight happened and why it happened kind of changed my perspective. I was like, man, this is getting sour. There's something not right. And so it was less shows and it kind of turned into more parties. And, we, you know, it was a good excuse to hang out. But when you get out of the straight edge element and you start going to the parties, you start seeing other things you've never seen before. And I started seeing people drinking and smoking and doing drugs. And I mean, when I was young, I had seen drugs all the time. I smoked weed when I was 11 years old. My friend Maggie's house with her brother, you know? Mm-hmm. I was like, what is this? I'll try it. And I smoked it and I was like, that was weird. Yeah, I'm not doing that again. I remember seeing cocaine at the skating rink when I was like 10 years old. Dude, these big kids I used to hang out with. Uh, hey, you want to try this? I was like, no. All right. Can you be the lookout? Make sure no one comes. So I'd be right right there as the lookout every weekend. We'd go to the state skating rink, and I was the lookout. These guys would just get twisted. So I'd seen drugs and then didn't really see it through the punk rock years. And then just going into parties, I would see it. I was like, man, this is trippy. What are these guys doing? You know, and my perspective of drugs started changing a little bit because who you hang out with really, you know, changes you. And, uh, it was 20 or 21 years old. I went to Mexico with my friends. And it was my best friends. And these are the guys, you know, these guys weren't into punk rock or anything. And we were at a bar in Mexico and they're like, let's drink. And I was like, nah, I don't drink. Nah, just take a shot. Take a is shot. Like, nah, I don't drink, dude. And they all got fucked up. Part of my friends, but obliterated, <laughs> right? And we go back to the house and we cook and we eat. The next day I woke up and I didn't drink that night, but the next day I woke up and I said, you know what? Is what's more important to me than straight edge or than fitting in is doing what I want to do. And I saw my friends last night and they had the time of their life. I want to do that too. So that night I decided to drink. And I drank. And then I came back to the States. Yeah, uh, let's let's go back there real quick because through we said we were saying thirteen to then you're saying you first had a drink, was it eighteen? Or when you I started like, to drink? Yeah, like 20, 21. Oh, 20. I mean, I drank when I was young, like yeah, 9, 10, 11, 12, like messing around. That Mexico know? trip. That Mexico 21? just kind of like introduced me to drinking. And it was kind of innocent. It wasn't crazy, you know? Like, we had a good time. We had a great time. 
Not like all the other Mexico stories. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of it was good. You know, we had we got you know we got twisted and yeah. had fun. And I was already twenty years old, so I was I was already a man. You know, well, so, I thought I was a man. But what I want to get into is, at between the your punk rock, the um, straight edge, you were around them, and it wasn't. You never had that um, the inkering to drink. Oh, there was a birdie. Uh, there was a birdie. There was a little birdie that said, "Hey, dude, you should drink. It's fun. You should drink." But it was because all your friends didn't. That's what helped you not do it. One hundred percent. And then simply being in a different environment, surrounded by different people. One hundred percent. I could not deny that. Being around my friends who I was with, and it was with my best friend. To this day, he's my best friend. I love him. I'm not ever gonna be like, "It's your fault that I started yeah. drinking." No, dude, it was my fault to start drinking. And so I drank in Mexico, it was fun, it was innocent, we danced, we partied, and then I came home and I faced reality of like, oh man, the friends I hang out with the most on the weekends, I have something to tell them. And so... Which was who? Was that those all straight? my straight edge uh -huh. punk rock friends, you know? And so I went, went to a party and one of my friends was leaving to go buy beer because we were starting to mingle in with friends who were not straight edge, you know? And I told him, I was like, hey, will you get me a new castle? They looked at me like, what, dude? I was like, give me a new castle. He's like, are you sure? I was like, yeah. So I pulled out whatever money I had in my pocket, gave it to him. And he came back, he gave me a new castle. And I remember being in the house, and it was at my friend Stephanie's house. And I remember being in the house and knowing, I was like, this is going to be crazy. And everyone's outside, and I walked outside, and I, my five, like five best buds who were straight edge, you know, maybe two of them had started drinking already on their own, doing their thing. And I said, hey. And they looked at me, I go, I don't know what I said, but I said something like, I was always straight edge because I always wanted to do what I wanted to do when I wanted to do it. This is what I want to do. And I remember I took a drink out of Newcastle, all poetic, like I've always been the poet, you know, that's my style, you know, I like yeah. it, you know? Well, you're making a statement. I made a yeah. statement and I drank and some of my friends were like, what? Some of my other friends were like, yeah, you know? And I drank and had a good time. And the next day I got a phone call from my friend Matt who's my friend to this day, and he called me and goes, hey man, I think I'm gonna drink too. And I was like, oh shit. Because he was straight edge riding alongside mm -hmm. you. Mm -hmm. for it's many, all many about years. your friends, man. If you think that your friends do not influence you, you're wrong. No matter how much you want to tell yourself that. Nah, no, you're lying, you're lying. My friends influence me today, to this day. Uh, you know, we'll talk about that later, mm -hmm. but you know, sitting at this table with two monsters in jiu-jitsu, you guys motivate me every day. You beat me up one day, you motivate me to beat you up the next day. And that's... I, I agree. Friendship is everything. So that point right there started a real wild roller coaster of being 21 to 25. That was crazy. That it was, started from... It went starting at house parties and it kept like that, innocent, having fun. But I mean, should I know I've been a drinker many years myself. Where did you see that end up taking you as far as where you were now being in situations where you wouldn't have been if you weren't drinking or you weren't doing drugs, you were around people you wouldn't normally be around. Tell us, you know, tell us some of that. So, you know, I started martial arts at 17 and I would find myself where I should be concentrating on training because I had, I've always been a, a gym rat. Mm -hmm. I never paid for training because that's what I do. I weasel my way in. Let me clean the mats. Barter no, it up. Let me clean the mats. No, no, hey, dude, mats are dirty. Let me clean the mats. I clean the mats, and then there it is, you know? And I had a, all my coaches have always been the best. I look up to those guys to this day. I think that, that 
they're the best men of my life, you know? And uh, I should have been training hard. I should have been waking up early to do my running and my conditioning. But I was drinking and I was hungover and I'd go to training the next night, recovering from my hangover. And it was just oil and water, man. And it was a battle, a battle, a battle. And, you know, those years of drinking, I should have been focusing on what today is my number one priority. But I didn't know better. Mm -hmm. I didn't have the exposure young. I was doing something different. And when I took that sip of alcohol and I had that that high five all around, yeah, let's, let's get messed up, blah, 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 that feeling. I was like, dang, this is fun, you know? And it took me down a really bad, bad, bad life course, you know? Um, so it was like trying to live two lives, dude. I was the only one out of my friends I was training. I had another friend that started training later on, but I was the only one. That was one thing I always had. You know, my friends all kind of did their own things on the side, like sneakers or graffiti or motorcycles. Me was MMA, you know? So you had your friends outside and then you had your friend, your gym family yeah. friends? Oh yeah. And for me, and I'm not going to say this is for everyone, but for me, it's really hard to put them together. It's really hard to, to do that, you know? And especially as a young, you know, 21, 22, trying to figure out where I'm at in my life, I guess... I'm a late boomer, you know? Maybe if I would have drank at 14, 15, I would have got it out of me and life would have started at 18, 19. But um, drinking got me into partying. And we used to not party in our city. We used to party in all the cities around our cities. Because Downey is a cool spot. Downey is, you know, it's a nice place. But everything around Downey is rough. So we would party in Bell Gardens, Bellflower, Paramount, Southgate, Compton, Linwood. Inglewood, and there's influences, you know, and that's when I was introduced to cocaine, and I was like, what is this? I'm Cuban. I'll Tony Montana this. I thought it was cool, you so know? So you had seen it before around 10 in the skating ring, but this yeah. time, this time was mentality real. was different. Yeah, this time I was, oh, I can do that, you know? And, uh, yeah, man, that was... That was a year straight. That was a year straight. And that was like, who you're hanging out with really influences you. And it just so happens that someone I hung out with made their income off of the drug. So, easy access. It was always there. It was always there. And then, dulling the pain made sense. I'd never known, I'd never known how to dull the pain, you know? Drinking started to dull the pain. Um, women started to dull the pain. It could never be one. It was always two or three, you know? And at that time, were you able to pinpoint where your pain was coming from? Did you even register that? It's anxiety. It's, you know, I was never smart enough to acknowledge and to admit that I suffered from something, you know? And then, you know, I was training, but I wasn't training like I'm training today. I train with monsters today. My ego is non-existent. I mean... I'm flamboyant and obnoxious and I act like I got a big ego just to test everybody and poke people, you know? Mm -hmm. But there's nothing I need to prove because at the end of the day, I got to go train with Andrew, I got to go train with Gilbert, I got to go roll with, you know, John Sandoval and get destroyed. There's no ego, but at that point, I had an ego. I thought I was the bee's knees. I thought I was cool, you know? That big chip on the shoulder. Oh, big chip <laughs> on the shoulder. And that ego is the worst thing for a young man, you know? And so that, that ego... 
That was tough. I forgot what we were talking about there. No, we were talking about the pain that the pain oh, yeah. that you so, were calling. So I was too, I had too big of an ego to admit that there was something wrong with me, you know? And now where I'm at in my life today at 32, I have no problem saying like I have a sickness. I have anxiety. I suffer from anxiety and depression, you know, and I've been put on pills. I've been put on many pills. I just said, no, no, no. Tried them, but... Yeah, I mean, at 32 now, I have my ways of coping with my anxiety. I've figured it out now, but it's taken all this time. It's taken discovering that I even had this problem, right? And discovering it early. And, I mean, maybe the times are changing. Now it's so common. People have so much anxiety these days that it's common. You can tell that my 14-year-old has anxiety. My 10-year-old has anxiety. I mean, people are telling me that their 6-year-old has anxiety. I was 22, 23, 24 years old when I realized, oh man, I have anxiety. How long did you have it for now that you look back? My whole life. My whole life I've had this feeling. I didn't know how to... I can't tell you the amount of times that I've looked up in the sky and said, what's wrong with me? So how sensitive should we be to the kids, the many kids out there that are saying, oh, I'm, oh, I'm depressed or I got anxiety and, and most of our adult, you know, our reflexes say, you don't have nothing to complain about. It's garbage. It's 100% true. And you should look at the, we should really focus on these kids and figure out, okay, what's wrong? How do you feel? Because if, if the kid doesn't have anxiety and he tells you how this feels and you know what anxiety feels like, you know, like I can ask you, what does it feel like? And they'll say something. I'm like, I don't know. If you know, you, you can gauge it. But when you meet somebody who talks about anxiety and they tell you like, this is what my anxiety feels like, you know? My wife suffers from anxiety. I know what her anxiety feels like. She tells me what hers feels like. You know, she trips on my anxiety because my anxiety feels like, you know, it feels like the world is coming down right now. It feels like my legs hurt. I get in pain. And she, you know, that one's a trip. And then, you know, my wife always asks me, what do you mean? I'm like, I just hurt. Everything hurts. Like physically. Uh, physically hurts. My legs hurt. My chest starts to get real tight. And it feels like, Something bad's gonna happen. Something bad's gonna happen, and it gets to the point where, as a grown man, I mean, I'm I'm putting tears a lot, and it's the only way I can handle it. I just need to be alone, or I need to cry. But you know, I'm very thankful that I I have my formula, my formula to help me. And you know, I get a panic attack three, four times a year. I need to you know I need to let it out. I need to cry. I need to you know suffer for a little bit. But at the end of the day, being exhausted, training. You know, the vices I do have because I'm not perfect. And so some people will think my vices are bad or some people don't. That's what helps me with my anxiety. Not pills. I'm not taking the pills they want me to take. I'm not saying you shouldn't. Some people should be on medication 100%. But I have found a way to, to deal with my anxiety, you know? And it's taken a lot of years and a lot of experimenting, you know? And what can we do as parents to be more aware of that? Because I think the one option is to tell your kids, hey, you don't, you, no, you're not. You're not depressed. You don't have anxiety. You're not feeling these. You don't even know what that stuff is. Or it's like, well, let's put you in a with a counseling program and go talk to a counselor, which that counselor may have a certificate, a degree. They may mean very well with all their heart, but they've never had anxiety. They never have depression. So what can we do? What are some other outlets as parents that we could say to our kids, well, go try this, go try that? Well... The answer that everyone will expect from me right now would be get them into a martial arts program, mm -hmm. 100%. And I know that that will help. I know it will help. And it's proven. Exercise, eating well, 
and puppies. Those are three <laughs> things that can help people with anxiety. It's true. Yeah. I, you know, look it up. It's a it's a funny little subject, but working out, eating well, and you know, cute little dogs or something. But I think as parents, when our kids don't look right, or they don't talk right, and we're looking at them, and we know there's something wrong, and we question that, we go, is that anxiety? We need to figure that out early, and we need to communicate with the kids, and most of all, we need to respect that. Because, you know, as fathers, you know, we sit here and be like, toughen up, toughen up. It's easy to say toughen up to a kid when it's a physical injury, like, you know, a scratch, or, you know. Yeah, shake it off. Shake it off, you know, and and I do that to my kids, you know, and I'm gonna do that to my kids forever. Um, and the only, you know, my, my six-year-old, my eldest is the one that I can see like emotional waves coming and I have to look at it and go, Oh snap, this isn't a physical injury. I cannot tell her to shake it off. You know, I have to be respectful of that. She might be sad. You know, she's lately been talking about sadness because of death and she never met her grandfather, but my wife's father, grandpa, but she talks about, you know, I, 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 I'm really sad. I go, what are you sad about? She goes, oh, about no-no dying, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm like, where does this come from? Is it real? Is it fake? Is it just a made-up little situation? But my wife and I respect it. And we tell her, you know, hey, you know, it's okay to be sad. You know, it's okay to be sad and to know that he's gone to a better place. Where when I first heard her say that, the only thing I ever wanted to say was, stop, you didn't even need him. You don't even know. You're just, you're just being a drama queen, you know? You're yeah. just being dramatic. No, man, there can be real anxiety there. And I don't know how to, to tell her if it's real or not. I don't know yet. I have to just have to acknowledge it, respect it, and cater to it as a dad. I have to give her love. And that's all I have, love. That's it. So speaking about being a dad and your daughter, Livia, you were in no way, shape, or form at that age of 24, 25 to say, hey, I'm, I want to start a family. Oh, and, no, and I'm going to do that. And no, no, no. You can't start a family doing drugs, drinking, and having three or four girlfriends at the same time. <laughs> But that, but you could have a lot of kids like that, but you're not gonna want to. No, yeah. you, you know, you, I did my, I did my best to not have kids because I knew I couldn't take care of myself. I mean, so, all I did every day was lie. I lied to everybody. I lied to my parents. I'm not getting messed up. I lied to my coaches. I'm not getting messed up. I lied to my girlfriends. I'm not getting messed up and you know, having another girl on the side. And I'm not proud of that. But I will, will say it honestly. That's who I was, and that's what I did. You know, that made me who I am today. And so, no, I was no way, shape, or form ready to be a father, you know? And, um, you know. And was, although, although you weren't, it ended up happening. Yeah, and it happened. Walk us down that path, because if you're 21 to 25, you're partying, and now you got cocaine, and you're going around all the different cities. What, and how did the miracle happen for you? You know, some people say God, some people say Creator, some people say just a coincidence or some people say I made a mistake but sometimes you make a mistake that turns into Hmm. the best one ever you know and I just got out of my city for a night with a small group of my friends and said let's just do something new let's just get out downy for the night yeah we said like let's just do something new like we've been you know I've I've been drinking at a bar for a while I spent like a year and a half at the same bar drinking on a Friday night and I was just really depressed, you know, mm-hmm. just depressed, breakups, just, you know, I tried things, failures, failures in martial arts, you know, losing a fight just set me off on a horrible, you know, path. 
And I just knew, I knew inside, something inside told me. And that's called intuition. And I think people really need to listen to their intuition because it could be God, it could be anything, you know? Whatever it is, listen to it. So I went out um, and I met a girl. And I really thought the girl was the bee's knees, man. I said, this girl's the prettiest girl I've ever seen in my life, you know? And I met a girl and I remember coming home and I even told my mom, because I lived at home, I didn't need to leave, bro. I had the best setup. I had like my own downstairs, I've been, it was, it was bad. But I, uh, I told my mom, I was like, mom, I met a girl and she's, she's awesome. You when, know? when you met her, you guys talked 10, 15 minutes, of hello, you guys well, there was a lot of together. Well, I was just being with Mr. Smooth, you know? Yeah. So her friends were like at the table. we all know. Mr. Smooth. <laughs> Charisma. That's uh -huh. it. Mr. You know, I just put on my charm, you know? Because I knew, I was like, this isn't the kind of girl I could get. This girl's out of my league, you know? Once she starts realizing... When she catches on? When she catches on that I don't have shit. I don't have nothing. I don't have any money. I don't have a fancy car. Nothing. Um, but... I had faith in myself, you know, and I said, I'm going to talk to this girl. So I gave her the candle that was on our desk. We had a, ta or a table. We had a table, and they were sitting at a table next to us. And, like, they were trying, oh, we need a candle. And I overheard it. I was so like, you heard your intro. You heard your channel. And I go, you can have this one, you know. But we started talking. And long story short, I don't need to, you know, get into detail or whatever. But, you know, we exchanged phone numbers. And she had about, uh, let's say, the DJ, the bartender, uh, this guy looked like he had a lot of money and some other gentlemen They were all playing this game of like, let's go talk to her. Let's go talk to her Let's go talk. Everyone wanted to talk to her because she was real pretty, you know, and she told me she's like Hey, I'd really like to talk to you, but I'm sorry. I'm a, you know, she kind of even a little bit and I said, it's all good. I understand. Of course, I'm gonna understand. You're out of my league, girl Everyone wants to talk to you. The DJ wants to talk to you. The bartender wants to talk to you But I don't know if any of them got her number, but I did and so, you know, I sent, I sent her a message that day and then we hung out. We hung out on a date. We went on a date and it was, it was great. I actually was so overwhelmed. I was like, how did I pull this off? Um, and then, then it got wild. So we went on another couple dates and then she got pregnant. And it was like, oh, how did I get through 13 to 21 of just mayhem and never have this thing kind of happened, you know? And shit got real? And shit got really real, real fast. And, you know, like my friends and, you know, situations, I don't, you know, this is a touchy subject, but a lot of people who go through this at 18 to 21, they get pregnant or something, it's real easy. You go to Planned Parenthood, you take care of it. You're like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm good. You move on. But it just never was an option, really. And I remember, and you know, I remember. For her or for you or both of you? For her. Okay. I remember talking to her and I go, look, let's make it work. We were in love for a second. And just like we were in love and we met so quickly, boom, it was done. She wanted nothing to do with me. She didn't know who I was. She said, I don't know who you are. You're just some guy from LA. You locked me up. I need space. And at that point, I realized, oh man, I messed, I messed up. So my attitude changed from let's be together and make this work out to like, maybe you shouldn't keep this baby. It's not a good idea. We're not working out. You don't want to talk to me, blah, blah, blah. She made it clear that she was going to keep the baby, you know? 
So I went back and I said, okay, well then you and I need to get along. We need to figure this out. We might not be together, but we'll figure it out. And I don't know why, but I really thought that was a logical thing in my brain. Like, ooh, make it work out, you know? Guess it was ego. Mm-hmm. No, it's not the way it worked. She left LA. She was living in LA. She left LA, moved to Santa Barbara, and it was crickets. Send messages, emails, nothing, nothing, no nothing, reply. nothing, nothing. And that was the scariest moment of my life. Because now I knew that there was a person that wanted to, I mean, there was a person to be born in this world of me. And I needed to take care of that person, right? And so uh, I remember going on a camping trip with my guy friends during this time. And something told me to look up. And I looked up at the stars and I was just kind of like, and I'm not the most religious person, but I remember kind of saying like, hey man, I need some help. Like, I'm done fighting. Like, give me some guidance, you know? And I got a text message that night from her. And it was like hope. It was like, hey, just letting you know, you know, everything is going good. Um, I'll let you know when the babies, uh, when we're gonna have our first ultrasound. And it gave me hope, dude. And uh, I didn't get to go to the ultrasound. She never called. And that was devastating, you know? So you had that hope mm-hmm. for that period of time. Mm-hmm. And I was still in love with her for a minute. I was like, I'm in love with her. But then that killed hope. Killed hope 100%. And I said, all right, you want to play that game? Let's go. So that guy at 21, 22 years old doing drugs, you know, doing everything. That ego was blown up, man. I mean, I'd never been bigger in my life. And I said, this is me time. I'm going to take care of me. But it wasn't drinking and it wasn't drugs. It was training. And I said, I need why, to take care of training me. this time. What? Because I knew it was the only good thing I could do at the time. It was what I loved doing more than anything, and it was good for me. Drugs were no longer good for me. Drinking was no longer good for me. And, you know, I was just getting in trouble with girls. It's just been a pattern of getting in trouble with girls. So I tried not to have any girls, but, you know, I, I fell into a relationship during this time, you know, and said, hey, you know, I, I have a girl who's pregnant with my baby. Are you willing to still work, be with me? And, and they, they, you know, they supported that, you know. So my life started to take a little bit of shape. And at that point, I said, my future is, I have a child in Santa Barbara, I'm training here, and this is, this is when I was having some of the best training, man. I was, I really saw it at that moment. I realized, I was like, oh my gosh, the more I separate myself from partying and drinking and training, I'm seeing a clearer picture. My life is starting to see clear, and I started to see things clear. I got a great job getting paid more money than I've ever gotten in my life. I had great training partners. You know, my relationship was going well. Everything was groovy, man. And it was all because I just said, I'm going to dedicate my focus on me. Because I've already messed everything up. I need to clean myself up. And it all for me was training. I was training, 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 training. Trying to be, you know, trying to be strong enough for the day that that child was born. I was expecting a phone call, the baby's born, or hey, the baby's going to be, you know, we're going to have a C-section. A shred of hope was in there still. Oh, yeah, and it was a shred of hope of like, hey, like, we're going to have to be good, right? Mm-hmm. Got to be civil. But, you know, we're in, the, we're in the day of social media, and I was posting pictures and images, and I don't ever put anything private. Everything's public in my mm-hmm. life. That's why I am who I am. And so, baby mama can see all my pictures. She sees everything I'm doing. So when I sent her paperwork 
for visitation for the baby before the baby was even born. Because I was kind of trying to spite her, you know? She used all of my social media as fuel. Here's a picture of him smoking a joint. Here's a picture of him drinking. He has a girlfriend, blah, blah, blah. And so the battle began. And it was a really tough battle. We fought in and out of court for months. To the point where her lawyer told her, don't talk to me, it's just trouble. And it was bad. And the baby hadn't even been born. So I asked for paternity. I said, that baby's not even mine. Just being crazy, you know? And uh, so then kind of put everything on stand. So nothing can happen until the baby's born. But, you know, baby mama said, you, I'll let you know when the baby's born. At that time, were you hoping that test came back saying she wasn't yours? Oh, my God. I've never prayed harder in my life. And I thought about a hundred ways how to change the test, pay someone to change the test. I don't know. It was not my kid. Mm -hmm. It was crazy. I had mixed feelings because I felt like that. But at the same time, I'd lay in bed at nighttime and go, I want that kid. I want that kid. That's my kid. You know? And so one night after a night of partying with my friends and my girlfriend and drinking and everything we come home my dad's sitting in his chair and all my friends know my dad has a throne it's the same chair he's had the same chair forever the throne you know and my dad's sitting there and my sister's right behind him you know you need to look at this and it's me and all my friends and what's up and they show me a picture and i go what's that and it's a baby and i go what's that and my dad goes that's supposed to be your daughter and my friends all look and you feel like And my sister, Michelle, who's an angel, she goes, that's not your baby. And I look, and, you know, I'm very light-skinned. That baby was real dark. And I said, that is not my baby. That's not my baby. That's not my baby! Stoke. Stoke. Yeah. Turned into a celebration. I was like, wow, that's not my baby. Well, I was wrong, dude. Paternity test came in. 99.999% that's my baby. And I still didn't have this attachment really. I knew I wanted to be involved. It was kind of cool. I got a baby now, blah, blah, blah. You know, baby mama, me and her, you know, we, we don't talk, but my girlfriend's supportive. And uh, I got visitation 30 minutes on Fridays in Santa Barbara. So I would drive from LA to Santa Barbara, see the baby for 30 minutes. But that, that was, that was it. That was it. That's all it took, man. I'll never forget that day. I walked in. It was at a house. It was at very, very house. first visit. Yeah, I'll never forget that. And it was the first visit. My mom and dad came with me. We came up here, and I just had that, you know, that feeling. Friday night football game. Yeah. Right. Wrestling knots. match. Jiu-Jitsu tournament. And butterflies, and butterflies, butterflies, butterflies. And I walk up to the house, and my parents are like, "Oh, you guys wait in the car. Let me go in there for ten minutes, and you guys come in." Go, All right. And I open up the door, and thirty minutes later, I walked out of the door, and all of that. All the anxiety, all the drugs, the partying, being lost was gone. Gone, man. It was like I was born again. I was new and nothing was going to stop me. I was going to be her dad no matter what. And uh, and that was it. I came up every Friday and it was my life. Just my, my child, my child, my child. I thought about how can I do this? How can I make this work? How can I manipulate her mom to be friends with me? How can I do this? And... I was obsessed and when this was happening my my relationship ended because my attention was no longer in my relationship my attention was in my daughter in Santa Barbara and I had no love for baby mama at all I had no love for anybody except for me 
and the baby. And that was it. And, uh, you know, I came up here and I, I knew that there was Paragon Jiu-Jitsu here, you know. And this is on visitation. I came and visited and I was just kind of lost. And I remember telling Adam, I met Coach Adam. And he was like, hey, what's up, man? What's your name? I was like, I'm Justin. I was like, dude, I got a girl pregnant and she's <laughs> baby's here. And I really want to train here. And I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should live here. I should live And, you know. And let it all out. Paragon people would know. Adam just looked at me like, damn, bro, you need to chill. But I didn't have mentors. I, you know, my coach, I love him to death. My, my coach down south, I love him to death. But he, he doesn't have any kids. He never endured any of this. He just shut up and train. Shut up and train. Shut up and train. I was just looking for a mentor, man. I was looking for someone to support me, you know. And uh, then somehow my wife, baby mama, realizes what have I done? I mean, I was persistent, and I tried, and I did everything I could, and she put the moves on me, and like the weak, weak man I am, I gave him. <laughs> it was never in your intention, right? You weren't, you weren't like most guys who would have been, well, I'll use my daughter as a way to get in and get back with no. the old lady. It was the opposite. You were totally in love with your daughter, which then in turn, you know, you don't get, you don't see that quality, unfortunately, yeah. a lot. Um, in this certain predicament, but in this case, you were there for your daughter. Have you talked to Danielle? Is that why, what attracted her to you? Or what yeah, exactly was during it? the visitations, you know, at first they were like visitations with another person, right? And both Danielle and I had our separate relationships. I mean, I mean, she had been seeing somebody, I've been seeing somebody, and we were separate, you know? But I think once we got out of that element, Danielle said, hey, we should just do visitation, just you, me, and the baby. So we went out to lunch a couple of times and I think that she showed that I was desperate to be a dad, you know? And I think she, where her words are, she fell in love with me. She fell in love with not the guy I was, but the guy that I had become because of the position that had happened where I became a father, you know? And a lot of people will say, this is just all turmoil. Yeah, man, my life started because of turmoil. I was lost and I was found. And... You know, we ended up being together. I never asked her father for a hand in marriage. I told her father I was going to marry her. Because, you know, I was coming up here and we decided we were going to live together. And everyone said, maybe you guys shouldn't live together. And I said, no, 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 no. We've already done everything wrong. We're going to keep doing things wrong. And I said, hey, uh, let's, uh, let's do this, you know. So I asked her to marry me on a Monday. She married me on Friday. We got married a week later. Um, she was going to move to L.A., I got a U-Haul and said, nope, I'm moving to Santa Barbara. I can move to Santa Barbara. And I said, all right, this is where I'm going to start my life, you know? You know, I got a job, and I knew I needed to train. I knew I needed to train, but I was still kind of like trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life, you know? I got the baby. I got the girl. All this craziness. I got the baby, I got the girl, but something's missing. And uh, I couldn't afford to train. I go to, you know, I go to the gym just like everybody else says. Oh, I can't afford to train. I can't afford to train. Well... I said, I'm going to do this. So every check, $200 I put away, $200 I put away, $200 I put away. You made it happen. Put away, you know, and I, and I made, you know, I made, I think it was like $1,300, right? $1,400. And I remember going to Paragon. This is Blue Mat Paragon, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, uh, hey, I really want to train here and I have cash. Can I pay up for a year? Listen, cash is king. We all know that, right? Boom, signed up for oh, a year. Yeah. Started training, started meeting great people. And that's when everything started. All of it right there. 
That was when I knew that I had worked so hard to be where I am today. And I hadn't even started yet building what I built, what I built today, you know? Because you could feel it. I then. can feel it. I was sad because I left my kickboxing team. I was sad because I left my friends who were great. I love them, but just not in trouble. I was sad because I was away from my parents. I was sad because I, but I knew that being here, being at Paragon, was something big. And I knew that this is where I was meant to be, you know? And, uh, and it was. And then it started from there. And how has it continued? Like you said, when you became a father, that's when you felt the big shift that you became a man. But listening to your story, I mean, and martial arts played a big part in that because you would have never got to that point without it being a part of your life. So how does it continue? What positive does it still bring to you day in and day out? So I feel like being a father is water. And being a coach and training in martial arts is food. You need both of them, you know? For me, when I got the opportunity to coach, and it just happened, you know, just by chance. They needed someone to cover a class. Just by being there. And I was like, work. guys, I've been kickboxing for a long time. I swear, I know what I'm doing. I got the best coaches in the world. Because, you know, I moved to Paragon and... I didn't, wasn't kickboxing, I was just doing jiu-jitsu and I didn't really know the kickboxing coaches, nothing, but they needed someone to cover a class and I just said, I can do it, I can do it. I'm like, okay, if I did. And I covered a class and that was it, exploded from there. And uh, martial arts, coaching, has given me not just, you know, the ability to live in Santa Barbara. My job is coaching, my job is paradigm, my job is to coach, but it's given me relationships Outside of the ones I've already had. A coach isn't just there to make his, you know, his little money and yeah, show off his cool little, moves. Not a big hey, paycheck. Out, yeah. No. <laughs> it's like, hey, check out these cool moves that I know. No, man. I'm a therapist. I'm a coach. I'm a friend. You know, to think me, I'm a mentor because I'm a mentor to people. That has fueled me more than anything has ever fueled me in my life. You know, I did privates today, and hearing people talk to me in the privates, it's not all fight-oriented or martial arts-oriented. We are family. You know, someone's expressing to me today about how they lost their father. They don't need to tell me that. Why do they tell me that? Someone the other day told me about their separation from their wife. They need to let it out. And this all stems back to anxiety. I never trained because I wanted to be a world champion fighter. I never trained because I wanted to... You know, I trained because, you know, at first I wanted to learn a little self-defense, but I trained because I realized that that made me feel good. And when I was feeling anxious, that I took it away. And I would say, whoa, 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 what, what's going on here? I couldn't figure it out. I wasn't mature enough to figure it out. Now, I'll coach in the morning, I'll coach in the afternoon, I'll do a private, I'll coach in the evening, I'll do jujitsu at nighttime or maybe in the morning. When I go home at nighttime and I start feeling that anxiety feeling, I don't have the energy to be anxious anymore. That's my formula. That's what helps me. And I swear by that formula. And I'll sell that formula to anybody. When people tell me, hey, I'm really anxious. I'm depressed. I'm sad. I said, listen, I'm going to tell you what has worked for me. And I can almost 99.999% guarantee that this formula will help you. And 
I don't know anything else that's ever worked better than this. The medicine didn't work. The drugs didn't work. The alcohol didn't work. The women didn't work. This works. This works. So I, get in here and try it. Get in here and try it. I'll never change. I'm never going to do anything else. For the rest of my life, I'm going to be in a gym. Paragon. Paragon number two. Paragon number three. My Paragon. Moving on. Anywhere I go, this is my life. This is what I want to do. Not because it makes me a lot of money. It's because it makes me feel good. It takes away the anxiety. I'm in a win-win situation. I'm getting treatment. I'm surviving. It gives me the opportunity to do the most important job in my life. And that's be a good dad. Three kids later now. My kids, they, they go to the gym. They're at the gym. Otis just started jujitsu himself. I mean, we are a martial arts family. If, if I... I cannot stress enough what martial arts has done for me. It's given, It's always been there. It's always been like, come on, man. Come on, man. Yeah, come you know, back, the same, come you back, know, good. same thing, you know, like your friend goes, hey, man, try this. Mm -hmm. Try this. Come on, try this. And you do it, and guess what? Negative. And nobody's going to tell me something negative about martial arts, you know? Maybe, hey, you should try sparring. Maybe. <laughs> That's one thing, you know? Sparring, you get rattled in the head a little bit, but... Martial arts has been the most essential part of my life, for sure. And, you know, I say it a lot. People think I'm joking, but I, you know, I say it. The things I love the most in the world is my wife and my kids. But you know what I love more than my wife and my kids? is martial arts. People are like, damn, you're an asshole. How could you say that? I go, because without martial arts, I could never be a father or a husband. I could never be a friend to the people that I have. And now, the friends that I have now are all from Paragon because we share a common interest. We all share, you know, common passion and we're all different. And that's my favorite part. You know, you hang out with some people from Paragon that they look one way, talk one way. Other people from Paragon, they look one way, talk one way. I mean, and we're all there together. Where else in the world are you going to get ex-convicts, lawyers, cops together in the same place? Having a good smiling. old time, yeah. I mean... It's magic. And you and I, Andrew, my brother, and and my company and my family, we're all working together to create a program for teens. And one of the things that we'll be teaching is mixed martial arts, which you'll be heading. And I can't be more excited. That's exciting to think about the what can kids look forward to if they join the program and they're getting coached by Coach Gus? So, one thing I'd like to do is make sure to acknowledge the, you know, what these kids are in search of, you know? Because a lot of these kids, they don't know what they want to do. And I'm a product of that. I didn't know what to do, want to do until it fell on my lap. All I, you know, would be a dad. I didn't know what to do. If we can acknowledge that early, I think we can really, you know, build these kids up and give them a foundation. And the one thing is maybe it was a lack of confidence. Maybe it was, you know, I don't know what it was, but I think that martial arts is going to give these kids, and I see it all the time, and we all see it at the gym. You see this little kid come in, and they're always about 13, 14 years old in the teen program. Mm -hmm. They come in scrawny, geese too big, <laughs> belts tied funny. And you look three years later, and that gee fits them really good. And that belt is tight. Perfect with the diamond knot. And it's got a couple stripes on it now. 
and they walk with their shoulders up a little bit and they got the confidence to say, all right, I'll scrap with you. I'll scrap with a grown man, you know? The first time you see these two teenagers grappling, they don't know how to put their chest on another person's chest. Like, mm-hmm. Next thing you know, they're, you know, head to head, guillotines, everything. And I love to see that. I, I, I think that um, my goal for the program is to, te- to, to, to teach these kids that there's an outlet outside of drugs, alcohol, and trouble. There's a party there. There's a party for you. You want a party? I have a party for you. It's every day, Monday through Friday at 5.30 p.m. I go to a party and I get to go home and I get to wake up the next day and feel okay. And I wanna let these kids know it's fun to do martial arts. It's fun to be part of a family and it's incredible to be able to express yourself through a martial art. Whatever you are, you're a weird dude. You know, like if you're a weird dude, be a weird grappler, you know? I feel like everybody's grappling personality matches up with their actual personality. Myself, you know, Coach John always asked me, what's that movie you just did? I don't know, I just made it up. What? Well, dude, I'm not the most normal guy, so my grappling is not very normal, you know? If anybody's ever grappled with Andrew, I think his grappling and his personality is pretty dang similar. <laughs> you know, straight to the point. Yeah. Right? I gotcha on that one. Gilbert's grappling is the same, dude. You're a hard grappler. Try hard you if you want to shut Gilbert down, you're gonna to try to shut Gilbert down, you're gonna to have to kill him. And it's a good way for kids to express themselves because I feel like in 2019, kids are dying to express themselves more than ever. And it's another way of expressing yourself safely with people around that that love you, you know? Like I love all my training partners. I have love for everybody that steps on the mat. Don't get me wrong, man. There's people that step on the mat, like, man, this guy's a dick. Mm-hmm. He's always trying to put me to sleep. But at the same time, I'm thankful for that gentleman because if he's not trying to put me to sleep and test who I am, the next guy on the street might be able to put me to sleep. So the family aspect, you know, the family, hard work. It's just, you know, for me, it's hard work, dedication, and those things, hard work and dedication to the gym is so valuable. It it, it gives kids a purpose, a purpose, a purpose. And we see it. Most in the team program, we got the little kids rolling around. You know, they look funny. They don't know anything. They don't know they're their left hand from their right. Yeah. They're just having fun. But the and the adults, you see it. You see it too. You know, you know. If you ever speak to John Sandoval, he's really good at observing these individuals who come in with lack of confidence and building them up. It's amazing. You know, and I look at that. And I, you know, John's one of my mentors, on and off the mat. You know, but the teenagers. If you observe the teenagers, they're incredible. And I think that the, you know we'll really benefit by getting some of those teenagers in the program in here and talking, and it can, you know letting us know you know their problems and their issues, what 2019 is like for a teenager. But like you see a kid like Harry, Harry Sneddon, you know, curly curly hair, redhead, yeah, you know, yeah. big old tall kid, nicest kid in the world, right? He would get smashed by Baron Katrina, and you'd see him get all red faced you know, maybe teary-eyed or something, because he was a scrawny little kid. Now Harry is taller than all of us. He walks on the mat with his long hair, and he's not putting it up. You know why? Because he doesn't want to put it up. Because he's a grappler now, and he does what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, with confidence. You yeah. know? These if you kids, got something to say about it, say it. <laughs> and that's what I love yeah. about our community, is we get together, and you might think one thing, and I might think another thing, and we, we can argue about it, Gil. Well, we don't come to an agreement. 
let's go grab them. Mm -hmm. And there's no way we're going to grab them and get mad after them. Like, <laughs> what were we arguing about again? So I what mean, do, do the kids, the, for the kids who think you have to be a certain way or a certain type of kid, what, what's the criteria for some, for a kid who wants to train? Do they need to be a certain you gotta personality? Be, you got to be able to breathe and you got to be able to wake up. That's it, man. There's no personality for this. It's a perfect example is get 10 people a paragon, put them in a line, and trip out. And come in and see it. Whoa. For your own eyes. For your own eyes. You'll never in the world find a group of people working together to get better than in a martial arts in an academy. You know, there's so much separation in this world today. The media is pushing, you got to be this, you got to be that. Race is a big issue. So many people arguing about race. Religion is an issue. When you step on the mat, none of that matters. And we know that. Mm -hmm. We know that as adults, we can acknowledge it. The little kids don't acknowledge it. They don't get it. But the teenagers, we're building these teenagers who would never be friends on campus. They're starting to respect each other and love each other. And it's kind of like, I don't know what their life is like at school, but I'm pretty sure when one of the teenagers passes by another teenager, they look at each other and they probably just give each other like, hey man, you know, yeah. I got you. You got me. And we're creating a family, like a family like that doesn't exist, you know, anywhere else in the world. So and no kid has an excuse to say that's not for me. No, they, they could breathe, they could wake up, they can, they, they can, they fit in, they will fit they, in. I mean, I mean, we can do a lineup. We could put, you know, Ernie standing next to Gilbert, standing next to Morgan, standing next to Gus. Yeah, four body types, four people, four different. You know, we're all brothers. We all grapple, you know, and we, you know, kickboxing, jujitsu, it's all the same. You, you express yourself through your martial art. I can't do the same things that a Dom does. I can't do the same things that John Sandoval does. Not necessarily because I'm not talented. Well, those guys are black belts, of course. They're far superior to me, but maybe body type, you know, John Sandoval admits, he goes, I don't really do a lot of China. Why not? You know, because he's not the tallest guy. Then you look at Morgan, he's probably doing triangles every day. Jiu-Jitsu and kickboxing is adaptable. You can do anything you want on the mat. You can express yourself. What about those kids that are going to, maybe they're going to like the the work ethic part of, hey, solid foundation, I can go work, I can make some money, I can learn how to work and try different careers out. Maybe they like the strength training where they say, hey, I got guys who are going to show me how to lift and do proper technique and I can get stronger. And then they love the tutoring and the values portion. But what if they hear martial arts is a part of it and it scares them off because they're so scared of what they, you know, they interpret it as violence and they're scared of confrontation. But how do we reach those kids and reassure them to just come give it a try? Well, I think it's a combination. All four things are so important. Strength training is going to build your body. You're going to look strong, right? You look strong. So now you become an intimidating individual. People are looking at you like, that's a strong guy. You got work ethic, right? You're going to be in situations where people are going to be yelling at you or, you know, they might be yelling at you. They might be talking smack to you or whatever. How do you how do you deal with the situation? I don't know. I'm, I'm a big, strong guy. I don't know how to interpret it. It mixes up. I feel like martial arts is what connects them all. It gives you the confidence and the ability. I mean, I don't look for a fight. I don't want to look for a fight. But I'll stick up for myself. Because I know that I can, I can fight. You can fight. 
without martial arts, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, it doesn't make sense to work, look strong, but not be able to defend yourself. Not just verb, not just physically defend yourself, but verbally. And the martial arts gives me the ability to verbally defend myself. I'm not afraid of upsetting you for telling you something how I feel. I'm not afraid of expressing myself. I can defend myself, you know? It might, you know, there are kids out there that it's not for them. It's not for them. And we meet them all the time. How many people come into the gym, try the gym, leave the gym? It's not for them. You should try, because if I swear by anything, I swear that martial arts can really help. To me, it cured my anxiety. To me, it gave me a purpose and a job, and it gave me a family. And, I mean, man, you can make all the money in the world, but if the world ended tomorrow, I'm going to take that money with my bare hands. That's, that's the truth. That's the truth. Well, I appreciate a, all the knowledge you've dropped on us with that, Gus. It's a cold world, dude. And you know what? I'm really happy to be a part of Paragon. I'm really happy to be a part of this foundation. I think that teenagers need um, mentors outside of their parents and their high school teachers. I mean, no one wants to talk to their teacher and more of their parents. You know, that's a hard thing to talk to your parents. You, me, Andrew, your brother... Not, I'm not going to talk to you as a teenager, you know, some dumb teenager. I'm going to talk to you like my training partner. I'm going to tell you what the real world is like. And I'm going to tell you suggestions. I'm not going to tell you what to do because I can't tell anybody what to do because I'm still learning myself. But I can tell you where I've made a mistake and how you can get a head start on your life. So you don't, you know, you don't become an adult at 25 like me. And for any teens who may want to get some personal words from you and have questions and about our conversation we had today is it all right for them to reach out to you 100 percent. where, where can they find you anybody can email me my full name gustavo regali g-u-s-t-a-v-o-r-i-g-a-l-i at gmail.com i mean like i said earlier being a coach has opened up so many doors for me and one of them is like you know i like to talk i'm good at talking it makes perfect sense people come to me to train, to work hard, and I get people asking me questions all the time. And it's not martial arts related. I don't know why people ask me about taxes. People <laughs> ask me about their cars. People ask me about their girlfriends or boyfriends. Like I said, I'm not the smartest guy in the world about that subject. But I can tell you what I did and what I did wrong because I don't lie. I keep it 100. And anybody can reach out to me at any time. If you feel like you have the most, most people I'd, I'd like to talk to is anybody who feels like they're suffering with that anxiety feeling. Like, that's a killer, man. And it's real easy to, to, to go down the wrong hole. You know, and, and you can say, I'm anxious. This is never going to end. I'm done. And, you know, I've, I've had people, you know, take their lives because of so it. If grown, some grown ups suffering from anxiety, is it okay for them to email you? Anybody. Anybody who wants to talk about how I have cured my anxiety through martial arts, through the friendships that I've built through martial arts, you know, and the ways that I medicate, I would love to express that to anybody. So, you know, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk to anybody. And I look so I look forward to this program. It's going to be great. And I mean, if you're a teenager and you're out there and you're thinking about this program, give it a try. You don't, you don't know it till you try it. Yeah. And all we're trying to do is just help you guys. We, we see that there's a, there's a, there's a lack somewhere uh, i'm not going to say it's at the school or i'm not going to say it's with your parents but 
but that's just it come in so we can all work together to see where it's coming from and if there is any questions you could find us on Instagram Facebook YouTube and uh, other than that Gus I appreciate your time thanks bro. I'm excited dude this is gonna be good so thank you guys thank you Thank you for listening to this episode. I know you had to find some value in it. And if you do, please share. Like I always ask, it's the best thing you could do to help with the podcast is share it so everybody could get the same value as you got from it. Also, if you're looking for other ways to um, be a part of Solid Foundation and help what we're doing, whether it's teaching kids uh, boxing and the principles of discipline and um, family values, or helping women learn self-defense through jiu-jitsu. A great way you guys could help is we have a GoFundMe page. You can look it up. Link is in our IG. Or you can look up on GoFundMe anywhere. Look up Solid Foundations and donate. We can do much more with your help. So please consider it. Thank you.